This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. Item number one, deer and elk baiting for hunters. Should we allow it or not? The Michigan legislature, in a strong bipartisan vote, thinks, yes, it should be allowed. But the Department of Natural Resources and Governor Gretchen Whitmer say, no, it should not be allowed because it furthers the spreading of what is called chronic wasting disease among deer and makes a problem even worse. The legislature, and particularly legislators north of what is called Town Line 16 between Bay City and Muskegon, disagree. They say, actually, what this does is discourage hunting uh, because hunters like to use bait piles to lure deer and elk to hunt. And if they can't use bait piles, uh, they're not going to be as likely to hunt, and they don't. And the number of licenses continues to plummet in Michigan, and that means declining revenue for the state and for the Department of Natural Resources. So the legislature says, you know, banning the use of bait piles for deer and elk actually hurts uh, the whole situation because deer then proliferate. They're not being shot in hunting season. They're not being culled. The deer herd gets bigger and bigger, more car deer accidents, auto accidents. Uh, Something to think about. I, I don't think The governor did herself any favors north of Town Line 16 with this veto. Let's put it that way. We'll see what happens next. Item number two, former New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg, now a candidate for the Democratic nomination for president, has opened a campaign headquarters in Detroit. He's the second candidate to do so. Uh, He had Tim O'Brien, author of a book, about 15 years ago on Donald Trump, very unfavorable book. Uh, moving around the state this week, he's a senior policy advisor for Mike Bloomberg. And he had a few interviews in which he had unkind words for President Trump and very positive things to say about Mike Bloomberg. We'll see how Mike Bloomberg's candidacy materializes. He's staying away from the early primary states like Iowa and New Hampshire, but he plans to make Michigan a focal point of his campaign, and he thinks he can get things up and running starting in March and still win the nomination. The state Supreme Court, this is item number three, the state Supreme Court made a decision this week that was a non-decision. They punted on so-called adopt and amend legislation enacted by the legislature last year. The legislature adopted petition language in September of 2018. Then three months later after the election, they amended the public act that they had enacted three months before. 
uh, labor unions and the Democratic Party cried foul, and they said this shouldn't be allowed. It's never been done before in the same legislative session, and it was fought out through oral arguments before the state Supreme Court last July. The state Supreme Court waited five months, and now this week they say, well, you know what? On a vote of four to three, uh, we're going to say we're not going to make any decision on this right now. We'll wait and see whether a lawsuit is filed against this, and let's see what happens to it in lower courts and whether it ever gets to us. Uh, Sounds like they copped out, uh, but we'll find out uh, going forward whether that makes any difference. By the way, item number four, we did have impeachment in Washington this week, right? And the U.S. House of Representatives voted on strict party lines to impeach Donald Trump. Uh, if you look at the Michigan delegation, everybody's curious about this. We have 14 members. Uh, seven of them are Democrats. Six of them are Republicans. And one, Justin Amash of Grand Rapids area, 3rd Congressional District, calls himself an independent now. He left the Republican Party last summer, became an independent, and the vote broke 8-6 to in the Michigan delegation on the impeachment of Donald Trump. Eight members, the seven Democrats and Justin Amash, voted to impeach, and the six Republicans voted no. But the impeachment passed, And now, if Speaker Nancy Pelosi ever sends it over to the Senate, uh, there will be a trial in the U.S. Senate, probably beginning in January. Uh, Much more to this story, we'll have to see. Now, Donald Trump's reaction to all this was contempt and disgust and outrage. He wrote a six-page letter excoriating Nancy Pelosi to Nancy Pelosi, uh, and then he made a point of flying to, guess where? Michigan. Out of all 50 states, he chose to come to Michigan on the very day impeachment was being voted on. And particularly went to Battle Creek and in the Kellogg Arena, uh, some uh, 6,000 seats filled to the brim. Uh, Donald Trump held a rally. Uh, At the rally, he made very controversial remarks in which he seemed to suggest that maybe the late John Dingell, the revered former congressman who died earlier this year, was looking up at the proceedings from down below. Uh, That didn't go over very well with anybody, including Republicans in the Michigan delegation who've urged Donald Trump to apologize. I think looking at it from Donald Trump's point of view, which is very difficult for many people to do, uh, he probably felt, you know, Debbie Dingell, the widow of John Dingell, who succeeded him in the Congress, uh, thanked me, the president, Donald Trump, for the special tributes and attention and respect I gave her husband when he died flying the flag at half-staff and so forth, And yet she turned around and voted to impeach me. So I think, as you know, Donald Trump is the classic counterpuncher. He never takes a blow without returning a haymaker. 
And I think he decided this is how I'm going to do it, and it wasn't a very smart thing to do. Uh, We'll find out going forward whether it has any long-term ramifications. Uh, I'm just going to mention one thing more. A famous former Michigander, Walt DeVries, a native of West Michigan, who was co-author of The Ticket Splitter and other highly regarded books on electoral politics and government, died last month at his home in North Carolina following a lengthy illness shortly after his 90th birthday. DeVries was an elected delegate from Grand Rapids to the famous 1961-62 Michigan Constitutional Convention that drew up the state's current basic charter. At the convention, he met and then worked with a delegate, this one from Oakland County, named George Romney, who was a vice chairman of the convention. When Romney was elected governor in November 1962, he tapped DeVries as his executive assistant in his new administration, which made DeVries pretty much first among equals in Romney's executive office. Uh, Walt DeVries, uh, after ConCon in Michigan, moved to North Carolina and started a new career. Uh, They, uh, he founded uh, an institute of politics at the University of North Carolina, and he served in faculty roles in political science at the University of Michigan, Duke University, University of North Carolina, Wilmington. Walt DeVries, dead at 90, a revered former potentate in Michigan politics in the 1960s. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We are back, and we are fortunate to have with us as our guest, State Representative Graham Filler, Republican of DeWitt in southern Clinton County, just north of the city of Lansing. Welcome to The Political Insider, Representative Filler. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. And the 93rd House District, which you represent, I'll just mention, includes all of Clinton County. Uh, You are a native of this area. I think you grew up in Ovid, which is on the east side, split between Shiawassee and Clinton County. Uh, You you got it. County line runs right down the middle of town almost, right? And now you're in DeWitt. Uh, The 93rd also includes, uh, I think, Ithaca and a bunch of townships just north of you in Gratiot County, right? Yes, sir, including Breckenridge. Breckenridge, where Jim Northrup, the former Tiger center fielder, came from. Did you know that? No, I did not. He did. He's a native of uh, Breckenridge in northeastern Gratiot County. Well, look, um, we want to have... Representative Filler on the program, particularly because he was just named Freshman Legislator of the Year by the Michigan Information Research Service newsletter in Lansing, MERS, it's called. And it is a biennial recognition of legislators by MERS, in other words, every two years in an odd year, uh, whose accomplishments stood out the most based on the criteria of effectiveness, impact, and level of activity. Let me ask you, Representative Filler, 
How many freshmen are there in the chamber this year? Do you know? There's actually a huge amount of freshmen in the chamber. Um, I believe we have a 22-person class on the Republican side, and then I believe the Dem freshman side is even bigger. Right. So we probably got, you know, around 50 or so freshmen out of 110 members. Almost half the chamber is freshmen, and MERS picked you as the most effective legislator. They said you are 36-year-old. You are being recognized for chairing a House committee that moved out 35 pieces of legislation that are already public acts, a little less than a quarter of every public act passed and enacted in 2019. You oversaw reforms on civil asset forfeiture and on raising the age of when teenagers can be charged as adults to 18 years old. Uh, You're currently among those leading the charge on expanding the crimes with which someone could later get expunged from their record if they've been found to be adequately reformed over a period of time. Uh, You've taken up the longstanding issue of judicial candidates not being able to run beyond the age of 70. This is constitutional language in Michigan. You cannot run whether you're already a judge or wanting to be a judge after the age of 70, and you passed through the House a resolution to approve pay raises for Supreme Court justices. So that's a big chunk, and we haven't even mentioned some other things. So, Representative Filler, let me let me just start out. I mean, are those the highlights as far as you're concerned that I just listed, or are there some things I'm missing here? Yeah, I mean, the Judiciary Committee has taken up a lot of the attention, and when it comes to actual number of bills, and packages that are going to have a wide-ranging effect. I think you're right. I think those are some of the highlights. Um, But I would also point out that some of those bill packages, they had great support before. I served as more of a shepherd. And so, yeah, I get get the MERS shout-out, and that's nice. But a lot of people who are not even in the legislature anymore really um, served with distinction and worked on those issues before I even came in. So I get the bump, but they did all the work before this. A lot of the legislation perhaps could be included under the rubric criminal justice reform, right? And a lot of work on those bills was done, as you say, before you even were elected and became chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. I mean, when you talk about criminal justice reform, what are all the things that could be considered? I mean, expungement and raise the age, anything else? Yeah, you know, we did a little bill package called Medically Frail, which says that if you're just, uh, if you're a paraplegic or if you have been deemed to be um, uh, sort of on your deathbed and you are costing the state of Michigan remarkable amounts of money um, in prison and are no longer deemed a danger to society, um, it allows MDOC to parole you. to parole you out. Other states have done this and saw savings and success and no issues with the public safety. And so we passed that through um, the House Judiciary Committee, too. I would put that in a similar vein. Yeah, you said, I think, upon learning that you'd received this honor of Freshman of the Year, uh, you were very modest. You, you praised your great committee, which includes, I was really surprised at this, 
10 attorneys. You got 10 attorneys on your committee? Yeah, we've got a lot of attorneys on that committee. And I think, I mean, you served before. You sit on a committee and you bring up a piece of legislation. And I know that if my committee has a lot of questions and doesn't like it, then I need to pull the throttle back on that piece of legislation. They're pretty honest. And like any good lawyer, they ask really hard questions. And so if a piece of legislation makes it out of House Judiciary, I feel like it's been vetted, and I think a lot of people trust that committee right now. Maybe that's why uh, our activity and our bills are turning into PAs quickly. Are there any attorneys in the House that are not on the Judiciary Committee? Do you know of? Yep, Matt Hall is not on the Judiciary Committee. I also believe Isaac Robinson is an attorney and does not serve on the Judiciary Committee. But maybe at some point in the future. And I think Matt Hall is uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee, and actually MERS singled him out for special attention, too, because... Joy, yes, yes. It has been a joy working on uh, Matt Hall's sort of wide-ranging reforms that come from audit and from his oversight committee. I give him a shout-out, too. Right. Um, Child Protective Services Bureau, that was part of one of the reforms I think he pushed through his committee, right? That's right, and CPS reforms are coming. Uh, We took testimony, and I believe we'll move that out uh, in the new year, but I believe they're going to work. I I just think they've done tremendous work. Excuse me, I think we've already voted on that. Yeah, I think you did. Uh, Yes, I I, I think we did. Yeah. Um, You also noted that House Speaker Lee Chatfield and Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky, quote, this is from you. Understand that the justice system is not just about putting penalties on top of things that don't make sense. Uh, you say we've been looking at fairness and making sure sentences are proportional to the crime. When people do make bad decisions, how can we help them forward so they are good taxpaying citizens who want to make our community safer? I think that's a testament to our leader in our caucus, unquote. That pretty well sums it up, huh? Boy, that really does. Again, Republicans and conservatives, we're supposed to be really good, and we are really good at looking at bylines and looking at where money is being spent. And I think there was a weakness in the justice system because we, you know, we pound billions and billions into corrections, but uh, the ROI, you question what the ROI is. And so if some of the ROI is people going back into communities, doing better going forward, uh, stopping committing crimes, then I think we're getting wins. All right, we're going to have to take a break here, but we'll be back in a minute with Representative Graham Filler, freshman of the year. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with Representative Graham Filler, Republican of DeWitt, who has been named freshman of the year legislator by Michigan Information and Research Newsletter, MERS, as it's called, quite an honor, particularly when you consider the incredible quantity of freshmen in the House of Representatives. He's one of some 50 new members who compose almost half the population of the chamber, and they deemed Graham Filler the most effective freshman legislator. Uh, Let me ask you about something that we talked about earlier in the year, 
on this program, civil asset forfeiture. Uh, just describe briefly for our members what that was and is and what you did. Yeah, civil asset forfeiture was the concept that um, the government, via uh, law enforcement, usually can seize your property without a conviction. And conceptually, it came from um, the the philosophy that we want to defeat drug dealers who are rolling around in unmarked cars with tons of cash. Um, and then it seems that it was taken um, and sort of weaponized by some local communities to fill their coffers. And there's a danger in that because we want the American justice system to be built on your ability to refute or plead guilty or, or whatever, but at least have a hearing of some sort. And what we found was, uh, talking to people all over the state, that wasn't happening. There was definitely an appetite for it. I believe it was one of the speaker's main priorities at the start of 2019. And so it came through the justice system. And what it just says is the government, you know, they, they can seize, but they can't forfeit the property until uh, conviction exists. There's a $50,000 threshold, so anything above, they can. And that was sort of our drug dealer carve-out. Okay, Um Representative, as you know, until this year, teenagers in Michigan could be charged as adults um, if they were 17, right? And Michigan is one of the few states to have that on the books. Now you've boosted that to 18. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's going to go. I think throughout my life, I'm going to look out and say that was one of my biggest accomplishments, working on that, working with our with both Republican and Dem caucus on that. It's a presumption concept, which is if you're 17 in the state of Michigan, we presumed you were an adult, which is incorrect. You are not. You're not an adult until you're 18 legally. And so the presumption was wrong, and it led to bad results for 17-year-olds. So now, under the law signed by the governor, if you're 17, you're presumed to be a youth. Now, the prosecutor can say this crime you committed was so heinous that we have to wave you up to the adult system, and we're definitely supportive of that. But we want the presumption to be that you're a youth and you need youth rehab and a focus on education and rehabilitation instead of the prospect of jail or prison. Two other issues um, that have long been controversial, and they involve constitutional language. One is the idea, or I should say the legal language, constitutional language, that you have to be at least um, under age 70 at the time you're running for a judgeship, whether you're an incumbent or not, if you go beyond the age of 70, even by one day, you can't run again. You're done. Uh, somebody could get elected at age 68 and have a six-year term and serve while they're 71, 72, 73, 74, but then they'd be done. They could not run again. And you're taking a look at that, and you're also taking a look at term limits, I believe. So what do you think about those? Those require a two-thirds majority of each chamber of the legislature to be put on a statewide ballot for the people to vote on it because it's a constitutional amendment in each case, right? That's tough to accomplish. Yeah, the judge limit, the age limit, I just think doesn't quite make sense. Uh, there's a judge from our area where I live, the 93rd District, who's an exceptional judge, and he's gone because he's termed out because of his age. And if, if our main focus in the judicial system is fairness and um, having the best hearing with the best facts 
and experienced judges, if that's our goal, um, then why are we putting an artificial age limit on 70-year-olds? You and I probably both know uh, 70-year-old lawyers, 70-year-old physicians who are practicing at a remarkably high level. And there are ways to remove judges. Judges can be um, probably from both caucuses, but we'll, we'll see how that goes. When it comes to term limits, I am supportive of term limits, and um, I'm not quite sure why this national group is doing a mailing attacking me and some other Republican House members, but um, I feel like if they're going to spend 30000 40000 to attack me, there's got to be better ways to spend that money. <laughs> well, I mean, to get term limits either amended or rescinded, that would require a two-thirds majority in each chamber. Do you think there realistically is a chance that that could happen uh, this coming year? You know, I think what happened at the base of this is some people think uh, that the state of Michigan's uh, toughest in the nation, most stringent in the nation term limits have been a negative. And so they brought up discussions saying maybe we need some ethics reforms along with some term limit reforms. And that sort of sounded the alarm for these, this national group who then lashed out angrily and randomly at Republican legislators. I mean, the mailer that went out to my district said that I was a career politician. I mean, I've been here for 12 months, so apparently <laughs> I'm the maybe the most accomplished 12-month career politician of all time. But I just, I just think this is an obvious uh, political hack job. Um, they don't know anything about Michigan or Michigan law. And the people will speak. The people will vote on term limits uh, going forward. So I'm not sure why they're targeting Republican legislators. Yeah, Michigan's term limits um, language, as you know, um, three two-year terms in the House. I mean, you can only serve two more terms after the current one that you're in if you're elected and two four-year terms in the Senate, and then you're out. Um the most draconian term limits language in the entire country. And I think one of the things you're talking about it, you alluded to it is maybe try and come up with a two thirds majority in each chamber that would reform ethics uh, in the house and Senate, maybe more financial disclosure, maybe penalties, in terms of doc pay for failure to meet certain standards. And then maybe you don't rescind term limits, but maybe you make them more flexible. Maybe you make it seven two-year terms in the House or three or four terms of four years apiece in the Senate, which would mean that people could could serve no longer than 14 or 16 years, which is the current limit on what they can serve, but it would be more flexible. Somebody could come into the house and gain experience, uh, seven, two year terms. Uh, wouldn't you like that? I mean, in your first year, what you've done, but think if you could be chairman of house judiciary for another five or six terms. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do think the people will decide. And I think the people were onto something back in the nineties when they, uh, instituted term limits because there were individuals who picked up the pension, picked up the health care, and were not doing what they needed to do. They weren't serving 
in a transparent, active manner, and it was damn near impossible to remove them. And so I think the people were onto something in the 90s. I think some of the negatives that we point out now or that folks have pointed out are, are also true. So I think it's a really nuanced conversation, and I don't think we should have fear of discussing these things. And I think that's what U.S. term limits is trying to do, trying to scare everybody from having the conversation. I also agree with the ethic reforms, uh, financial disclosure. I signed off on a bill that I, that I do support, um, a cooling off period possibly, anything to show people um, that they should have faith in their, their government officials. That was Representative Graham Filler, Republican of DeWitt, representing the 93rd House District just north of Lansing, Clinton County, a big chunk of Gratiot County. Representative Filler, you've done a great job. Congratulations on winning Freshman of the Year Award, and good luck in the future on all your other projects. All right, Bill. Thanks so much. We'll be back. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We are back, and we have another guest with a fascinating background. He is Mike Gilman. Mike, glad to have you with us on The Political Insider. Glad to be with you, Bill. Okay, Mike Gilman actually if you can believe this, was a member of the Bay County Board of Supervisors. Now, that was back sometime uh, in the 1960s, I would say, before they became county boards of commissioners. And I think you were a member of the Bay County Board of Commissioners then, right? Right. I, I spanned that period of time. Uh, under the old Constitution, every township had a, had a member of the Board of Supervisors, and each municipality had a certain number. In Bay County, we had a 45-member Board of Supervisors. Oh, my goodness. Well, and also, you are a former Traverse City commissioner. You moved up north at some point from Bay County. You've been in Traverse City for a long time. And here's what's most important. You were appointed by Governor William G. Milliken, a favorite son of Traverse City, uh, as the chairman of the Workers' Compensation Appeal Board. Uh, I think you served, what, 1971 to 83, 12 years, probably the longest serving uh, chairman in history, right? I think that's accurate. Wow. Well, okay, look, I'm just going to start by saying downstate, we look at Traverse City as kind of a a mecca of cosmopolitanism and sophistication. But I don't know. Uh, There's a lot of weird stuff going on up there uh, in politics and government. Uh, First of all, your state representative, Larry Inman, has been in hot water, as I think just about everybody following politics in Michigan knows. He was indicted on three charges by the federal government for lying to the FBI and for attempted bribery and extortion. Now, they had a trial in Grand Rapids a week ago, and he beat the rap on lying to the FBI. They exonerated him, but the other two charges are still hanging because there was a hung jury and the judge declared a mistrial. And there's also recall petitions out there that are maybe hung up in court right now as to whether that's going to go through. There's always the prospect the legislature could try to expel him. Uh, Larry Inman is in the final 
term of a, a three-term tenure in the state house. He can't run again after the end of this year. How do you look at this whole situation? What do you think the reaction is of the local community up there to what's going on with regards to Larry Inman? Well, I think the reaction of the local community is uh, split, as everything else is these days. Uh, he uh, he had a close race for uh, his uh, election to his third term. The Democrats had a very very good candidate, to be honest, and uh, the election was close. And I think uh, the Democrats have seized on the indictment aspect, uh, notwithstanding the fact that there's a not guilty finding by a jury, and uh, jumped into the recall mode uh, pretty quickly. Now, there's been a new development, apparently, on the, on the recall front. Uh, the State Elections Board uh, uh, yesterday, I think, notified the proponents of recall that there, there aren't enough signat- valid signatures on the petitions. On, on, Larry, on the Larry Inman petition? Correct. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. The, uh, uh, the, the, the petitions had been questioned as to validity because of some typographical stuff, and that may or may not be valid. I, I don't claim to be an election law expert, but uh, this would appear to be uh, quite a bit more significant. Um, the director of elections for the state uh, uh, corresponded earlier this week saying that the uh, bureau's uh, uh, canvas of the recall petition uh, said there were 94 signatures short of the required number. Oh boy! Wow. So this is so this has gone from a, a procedural uh, flaw to a much more substantive one. Uh, right. So that it, it doesn't appear to have been a formal ruling, just an informational letter from the Department of Elections. Right. Well, of course, that puts things in a very different situation. I mean, in other words, we don't know at this point whether the federal government will refile charges against Larry Emmon. They indicated they plan to. What do you think? You're an attorney. Uh, do you think it's likely they will? Uh, what What is the track record of the government refiling charges when there's a hung jury? Well, I, I don't claim to be an expert in, in, in that field. Uh, uh, Inman's attorney uh, yesterday was quoted as saying he does not believe that the charges will be brought again, that the time and expense that was put into the first trial was, was going to be sufficient for the government. And uh, uh, while the, uh, uh, the government has claimed that it will refile the charges and has asked for a new trial date, uh, he doesn't think they're going to go through with it. So we'll we'll see if his prediction is accurate or not. Uh, uh, I guess uh, the the word on the street, so to speak, is that the jury was split six to six on the other charges. So that means that you know it wasn't overwhelming either way for either innocence or guilt. Right. Well, uh, if in fact the charges are not refiled by the federal government, and if the petitions are ruled invalid for recall, that means the only way that Larry Inman would not continue through the end of his term at the end of next year would be if the House expelled him. But even though the House of Representatives passed a resolution urging him to resign, and he's been kicked out of the Republican caucus and his office staff has been stripped from him. Uh, I think it's less likely today that they would move to expel him than it was, let's say, two weeks ago before all these developments that you just described, wouldn't you think? Well, you're accurate in that. In fact, uh, 
Inman has uh, been quoted as saying that he met with Chatfield, the Speaker of the House, and has asked to be reinstated and have his office opened up and his staff uh, retained uh, for the final uh, year of his term. And uh, Chatfield has allegedly told him that uh, he will discuss this with leadership over the Christmas vacation. So I guess we will see the results of that uh, consultation shortly after the first of the year. Yeah, that'll be interesting because the House is actually very narrowly split. It's 51 Republicans, uh, 50, excuse me, 58 Republicans, 51 Democrats now because there's one seat vacant. Uh, A Democratic representative was elected mayor of Flint uh, last month and vacated the seat. So it only requires 55 votes to pass a bill now, not 56. But, you know, one seat like this is important. Let me ask you one uh, other thing. Thing up there. There's been kind of turbulence in what is called TCAPs, the school board up there. Uh, they picked a new superintendent after a long and expensive search. I think it was the deputy superintendent from St. Joseph School District in southwestern Michigan. Uh, she came up and took the job, I believe, in the spring. And she only lasted about two months. And then somehow she got crosswise with the school board. And literally, uh, you can either say she resigned. Technically, I think that's what she did. Or she was resigning under pressure. You could say she was being fired. There was a settlement. She got some money out of it. Golden parachute, so to speak. But uh, now the school board is uh, trying to figure out how they move forward and come up with a permanent uh, new superintendent. And there's been a lot of criticism from what I gather in the local community of lack of transparency by the board and what went on behind the scenes between the superintendent and the board. How do you read it? What do you hear? Well, again, there there appears to be a community split uh, on whether uh, transparency prevails or whether uh, governmental agencies have a right to conduct personnel uh, meetings in private. Uh, the, uh, uh, your, your question about whether she resigned uh, or was uh, fired uh, has become pertinent in a recall campaign that's been mounted to uh, uh, recall the various members of the school board that have allegedly contributed to her firing or resignation, whatever you want to call it. Uh, One of the problems that's been created is the recall petitions have referred to the uh, potential recallees as having terminated uh, the superintendent when, in fact, uh, uh, she signed a resignation. So does that make the recall petitions invalid? And that's an issue that's probably going to uh, go to court now. The the recall in this case has had a, a couple of turns. Uh, they filed recall language with the uh, Grand Traverse County clerk against uh, three members of the school board and uh, got petition signed and then discovered that the super, the uh, chairman of the school board, uh, Sue Kelly, didn't live in Grand Traverse County. A portion of our school district <laughs> is in Leelanau County. So, oh, my gosh. So uh, last week... Uh, Leelanau County uh, has an election commission that uh, uh, was called upon to weigh in on whether the language of the uh, recall petitions was appropriate or not. By a two-to-one vote in Leelanau County, uh, the uh, probate judge dissenting, 
uh, uh, the, it was voted that the language was appropriate. But the recall petitioners have not gone out on the streets yet because they know that there's going to be an appeal uh, based on the language in the recall petition alleging that there was a, um, a termination. Uh, right. Was pretty listen, much spelled we, out by. Um, yeah, we we we. I listen. I'd love to keep talking. Uh, unfortunately, we're out of time. We got to get out. But I want to thank you so much for your explanation, Mike Gilman, on a whole bunch of stuff up in Traverse City. Sounds like exciting times in Traverse City. Merry Christmas. And the same to you, Bill. Good to talk to you.